Grace to you and peace from God our Father. He is risen. He's alive. Jesus is alive and we gather to worship him today. And one of the ways we worship him is to take a look at his word, his love letter to us, and see what it has to say to us so that we can worship him and follow him and serve him in a, in a deeper way. And so that's what we're going to do today. So have you ever been in a fighting mood? Yes. I heard a hearty yes. I heard an all the time. You see an injustice, and you're stirred to fight that injustice. A few weeks ago, Betsy and uh, Tara and I went to see the movie Unplanned, and it's the story of Abby Johnson. It's her story. She was the youngest director of a Planned Parenthood abortion center um, in history, and on her watch as director, over 20,000 unborn children lost their lives. Uh, and so this movie is about Abby's transformation from a, a, a Planned Parenthood abortion crusader to a vocal advocate for life for the unborn. It's also a story about her transformation, the transformation of her heart from who she was to who God designed her to be. And when I left the movie... I was kind of in a fighting mood. It was like, how could I stand by and let this injustice happen? Uh, but there's also a bigger story in the movie, and it's the story of a prayer movement called 40 Days for Life. <clears throat> God's people are fighting this battle because of the faithfulness of God's people to pray and to love with great grace and mercy, Abby Johnson, her life was transformed. Her abortion center was shut down. And since the beginning of the 40 Days for Life movement in 2007, 15,256 babies, at least that many, have been saved. And 15,256 women do not have to live in the shadow of the day that could have ended the life of their unborn child. Also, 186 abortion workers have quit their jobs, and 99 abortion centers have been shut down, have been closed. So a couple thoughts. Well, I have a lot of thoughts today. But, but a couple things I want to say about all that before... I say some more. Uh, parents, uh, it's not in the theaters anymore, but uh, get the DVD when it comes out. Show it to your teenagers. I wouldn't show it to anybody younger. Uh, maybe watch it first. But uh, make sure your children understand the truth about abortion. And then also for all of us as followers of Jesus, we need to be praying for the end of abortion. And we need to pray for and show great grace and mercy to the women and to the men who suffer over the loss of a child due to abortion. With great love and great grace and great mercy, we need to minister to folks who have that weight on their shoulders. 
So now, as I watch this movie, I was reminded of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, and it says this. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil. So we all have times in our lives when we want to fight. But every fight, in every fight, we need to remember that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. When we have a strong-willed child, whether they're 4 or 14 or 24, and it seems like they turn every moment of every day into a fight, we need to remember the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness. When a coworker or a neighbor decides their mission is to ruin your reputation, we need to remember the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness. When a friend or a family member doesn't like something you've done and you go from friend to foe, we need to remember the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness. And so in this fight against the spiritual forces of evil, we put on the whole armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel that brings peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and also we raise up the shield of faith that extinguishes the fiery arrows, the fiery darts that come from the evil one. And we battle against the spiritual forces of darkness and not against flesh and blood. Jesus came to fight, not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness. And he came not to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. And as he served, his disciples that were closely following him were taught about faith. And so today we have a few lessons, a few faith lessons from God's word. So Luke chapter 17, you can turn there if you're uh, following in your Bible. Luke chapter 17, verse 12. So Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was with his disciples one day. And it says in Luke 17, verse 12, it says this, And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so there's these 10 people, 10 outcasts. They were standing away from the crowd because if they were standing with the crowd, they would be executed by the crowd for being in the crowd because they shouldn't be in the crowd. Did you get that? All right. And they saw Jesus and they called out to Jesus for help. So can we all say this together because anybody need Jesus to help you? All right. Jesus, have mercy on us. Okay, let's try that again. Jesus. Have mercy on us. And verse 14, when Jesus saw them, 
he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, that doesn't seem like a great answer from Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on us. And he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. After all, it would have been the priests who had declared these ten folks as outcasts, declared them as lepers, declared them as unclean. And yet, all Jesus told them was to go back to those very same priests. They were crying out to Jesus for mercy, and he just said, well, go back to the priests. And here's the picture, here's the faith lesson. Here's a picture of faith in Jesus. Jesus told the ten lepers to go back to the priests, and even though that wasn't really what they were looking for, it certainly didn't seem like a good idea. They listened to Jesus, and they did what he told them to do. And so here's the faith lesson. If we trust in Jesus' power and we trust in his timing, we will listen and obey even if it's not what we want and even if it doesn't seem to make any sense. Verse 14, And as the ten lepers went, they were clean. Now let's get a picture of that for a moment. Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus says, go back to the priest. They're like, eh. Don't really want to go back to the priest. Been there, done that. Got the unclean T-shirt, you know, unclean. And uh, but okay, that's what he said to do, and so they would do it. And as they were walking along, their skin began to change. Now imagine you're walking. I don't know with your 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 buddy, you know, I don't know, Oscar. Uh, so you're walking with Oscar, and and you're like, Oscar, look at my hands. Oscar's like, look at my hands. How does my face look? Your face looks great. How does my face look? My face looks great. These 10 people are like, they're not lepers anymore. How amazing would that have been, that moment have been? Great celebration. Party time. And then I think maybe the second response, after they kind of like, wow, we've been healed, they began to think about the rest of their lives their future after leprosy. Have you ever been in a season in life where it comes to the end and you say, now I have a future after cancer. I have a future after that situation, whatever it might be. And so here's some things they might have thought about. I can go back to my wife and kids. I can get a job now. Maybe some of them are young. I can go to college now. Some might have said, hey, I can move back into my old neighborhood. Or I can move into any neighborhood I want now. I can get on with my life. I'm post-leprosy. And that is exactly what nine of the ten former lepers did. They stepped into their new lives as former lepers, but nothing else changed. They were healed of leprosy, but their lives were not transformed. They had simply used Jesus as a tool to get on with their lives. Let me say that again. They simply used Jesus as a tool to get on with their lives. But it was different for one of the lepers. Verse 15, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, 
and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. The former leper recognized that God had healed him, and he worshipped Jesus as the king. A king to be worshipped, to be served, and to be followed. In verse 17 it says, Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Do you think he had forgotten? Okay, that was a rhetorical question. We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. So ten were healed of leprosy, but only one was made well. This can be also be trans- translated, your faith has saved you. So if you're in an accident in a car and you break your arm and you have internal bleeding and they take you to the ER, you want them to do more than just splint your arm. You want them to deal with the internal bleeding as well. Ten lepers were healed of leprosy, but only one was saved. When Jesus treated the lepers, he healed their physical disease, but he also wanted to heal their sin disease and to give them eternal life. So what the lepers needed to do was surrender to Jesus as the king rather than use him as a tool so they could get on with their lives. As we go through life, are we more often like the nine or the one? When we go through a tough time and the Lord brings us through it, do we say, this is awesome, good, now I can get on with my life? Or do we praise God in a loud voice and we serve him more intentionally? And we follow him more closely. Ten were healed of leprosy, but only one leper knew who had just given him the gift of a great adventure. Imagine the doors that Jesus opened for all ten of those folks who had leprosy. Opened all the doors, but only one came back to worship him, to serve him, to follow him. So only one actually walked through the door that Jesus had opened. Think of the possibilities for our lives. Because how God has made each one of us. See, this is a gift for me to look out here and see all the amazing people that God has created for this time and this place with the gifts that you have. Imagine the possibilities, the future is bright because we can have a great adventure with Jesus. And so here's the faith lesson. If we use Jesus as a tool, we get the life we want to live. But if Jesus is our king, who we worship, who we serve, who we follow, then we get the great adventure that he has for us. So that's part of our choice. Do we want the life that we want to live? Or do we want the great adventure that God has for us? 
Is Jesus to be, is, is he a tool to be used or the king to be worshipped and, and served and followed? What eventually happens to every famous celebrity? They go away, they they die, they die, yeah. Maybe before that, but that's true. So they go away. What else happens? They're forgotten. Yes, they're forgotten or they're replaced. No celebrity ever maintains their celebrity status forever because, as Miriam said, eventually they die. All right, so let's see how good you all are. Not good like good versus bad, but how much do you remember? So Jonathan Taylor Thomas, anybody remember him? What? Wow. Yeah, that Tim that he was Tim the tool man's middle son. Wow, you guys. That's pretty impressive. All right, let's try another one. Ta- Ta- Tatiana Alley. Anybody remember? Jeanette? Yes, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. She's also on Sesame Street. Way long ago. So we we may give people celebrity status in our lives, and not necessarily like movie stars. There there might be a, an uncle or a, a boss or you know a commander in the military who you're like, wow, they are having a huge impact on my life. And so we give them in some way celebrity status, um, but eventually their impact on our lives because life moves forward isn't the same, and so they're often forgotten or replaced by someone else that will impact us. And so Jesus, in this next passage we're going to look at, teaches us something about faith and about giving people celebrity status in our lives. So it's in Luke chapter 18, so next next chapter over, and in verse 35 it says this, As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's a a common refrain. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So what's going on here? Jesus at this point, his ministry, he he's a celebrity. He is healing everybody around him. He has fed thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He was the celebrity who's going to make life okay. Everything was going to be just fine because of Jesus. And a blind man who was sitting by the road was a distraction. He, he would not be allowed to get in Jesus' way because Jesus is a celebrity and this guy was just a blind beggar. But Jesus had a different view of the blind man sitting by the roadside begging. 
Verse 40 says, And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind beggar said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Then he says this, Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So the blind man sitting by the roadside begging was not a distraction to Jesus. He was the whole reason Jesus came to walk among us. The blind man put his trust in Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? I want my sight back. And Jesus gave him his sight back. And then he said, and your faith has made you well. What if the people who had silenced the, tried to silence the blind beggar if they had accomplished their task so the celebrity Jesus could go by? He probably would have stayed blind. And so here's the faith lesson. As followers of Jesus, we must be careful not to be an obstacle or a stumbling block between someone and Jesus. Jesus must be treated as our Savior and not as a celebrity. How we live our lives needs to be as bridge builders and not as barriers to Jesus. Our faith in Jesus must cause us to be a bridge to Jesus for anyone, no matter how messy it gets or how comfortable it, it makes us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We get to join him on that mission. We have to build bridges for people to cross to get to Jesus. You know, when, when we're in the high school, the high schools do ministry. Our students are um, from every um, segment of society wrestling with every issue you can imagine. And, and half the time I don't even I don't even know what to say about the issues. But I can always say, Jesus loves you, and he went to that cross for you. And for some reason, actually not for some reason, because the Holy Spirit's at work, they come back. Problems aren't solved. Mom and dad are still fighting, or they're still struggling with their sexual identity, or they're being bullied or they are a bully and they want to stop and they don't know how to do it, whatever it is. But the gospel is the bridge. And so whether it's ministering to students at the high school or in your workplace or in your homes or your extended families, wh whatever, wherever, 
we have the distinct privilege of, as followers of Christ to be bridge builders. And so we never want to create a barrier to Jesus. The great adventure is a rescue mission and not a vacation. Following Jesus is not a vacation. It is a rescue mission. If we make Jesus a celebrity, we're looking for a vacation. If we make Jesus a celebrity, we will forget him. And we will replace him when the great adventure becomes difficult or even dangerous. If Jesus is our Savior, our faith not only will make us well, but it will make us bridge builders. I want to talk for a moment about faith. What is faith? Because I don't want to talk about faith lessons without making sure we understand faith. And it's a review, maybe, for most of us, but maybe not. So if Jesus is the king that we worship and serve and follow, and not just a tool for a better life, and if Jesus is our savior, not just a celebrity, will be one day forgotten or replaced, then Jesus is truly the object of our faith. So that's where faith starts. What, what is, who is or what is the object of your faith? Is it Jesus? In Hebrews 11, verse 1, we have a definition of the faith that Jesus teaches his disciples about. And in Hebrews 11, 1, it says, Now faith, in the English Standard Version, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. In the King James Version, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith has two parts. First, faith is the assurance and the substance of things hoped for. And what do we hope for? The future promises that come from God. And the primary future, primary future promise is eternal life. So the things hoped for, the thing hoped for primarily is eternal life. Now assurance and substance, they work together and they strengthen one another. As faithful followers of Jesus, we have an assurance that no matter what happens, we have eternal life. And we'll spend eternity with Jesus. Because of Jesus, we live forever. And that should impact the way we live today. Because if you're a follower of Jesus and you live forever, you're, you're, you're experiencing eternal life right now. And so, how can we have faith? How can we have assurance in a future promise? Faith is not wishful thinking. There's substance to our faith. In Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the substance of our faith. Has God been good to you? Have you seen God's goodness? That's the substance of your faith. When we have a spiritual encounter with God, the substance of our faith grows because we see God's goodness. 
when we regularly put ourselves in a place where we can experience God's goodness, the substance of our hope will strengthen our assurance. Our faith is the assurance based on substance that the eternal life that we hope for and is promised to us as followers of Jesus will come to pass. So our faith is the assurance based on substance of the things hoped for. So when I surrendered my life to Jesus in my Hummer, in the Hohenfels training area, right, tell where, uh, Justin, wherever he is, uh, you know, training uh, for raining, right? So I was training, but to stop this, well, anyway, it doesn't matter what I was training for. All right, so I'm in my Hummer, and I give my life to the Lord, and I have assurance at that moment that I will live forever. But my assurance has grown because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good for 29 years. Substance of our faith grows our assurance. So what situations do you put yourself into where you experience, where you taste and see that the Lord is good? so that the substance of your faith grows, so your assurance grows in what you hope for, and so you live a life as a person who knows they live forever. Are you experiencing the substance of your faith? If not, press into Jesus. Find those places where you can taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't let... This culture, this life consume you and you never experience the substance of your faith. Part two of faith is the conviction and the evidence of things not seen. What is it that we don't see? We don't see God at work in our lives in this present reality moment by moment. God is at work and we can't always see it. So we have this conviction, we have this strong belief in the present reality that God is at work in our lives. But we have this strong conviction because we have evidence that this is happening. Years ago, at a youth event, Acquire the Fire, um, the theme was, how do you know that Jesus is real? As they worked through the the weekend with the students and the adults there, the answer comes down to this. How do you know Jesus is real? He changed my life. How do I know Jesus is real? He changed my life. This is the evidence that gives us the conviction of God's presence in our present reality. If God has changed my life, I know he's at work. As he changes my life more and more, you can ask Betsy, am I a different person than I was 29 years ago? She'll be like, hallelujah. So there's evidence that supports my conviction. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's a bold statement that Paul writes. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So I have a conviction that what Paul said in Romans 8.28 is true. 
but it's not wishful thinking. It's based on evidence. The evidence that Jesus has changed my life. So our faith is the conviction which is backed up by evidence that God is present in our lives even when we can't see his presence. We can't sense his presence. We know that he is at work because of the evidence we already have. And so are we taking time? Are we taking time to gather evidence to strengthen our conviction that Jesus is real and he's changing our lives? So our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. And we raise our shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts that come from the devil. And as followers of Jesus, who is the object of our faith, we view Jesus as the king to be worshipped and served and followed and not as a tool to get on with the life that we want. The lepers had to begin to walk to be healed, but they needed to return to Jesus to be saved. So a question we need to ask ourselves, are we treating Jesus as a tool so we can get on with our lives? We need to return to him even today. Also, as followers of Jesus, who is the object of our faith, we view Jesus not as a celebrity, but as our Savior. The blind beggar had to ask in humility to be healed, and Jesus responded by making him well. Is Jesus your celebrity or your Savior? Do you want to be healed so you can get on with your life, or do you want Jesus to make you well? Are we willing to trust our very lives to Jesus so that he can make us well and take us on a great adventure? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are in the business You call us into your family and we become your children. We become part of your kingdom. We join in the rescue mission that you have, that, that you're on. Lord, you want us to be bridge builders. And so folks who are struggling and don't know what to do can find you. And Lord, we're grateful for that mission that you have for us. And so, Lord, forgive us when we've made you a tool to a better life that we want. And, Lord, forgive us when we've made you a celebrity instead of our Savior. And, Lord, help us even this week as we begin our week today. Help us. Help us build bridges. Help us as we worship you and serve you and follow you. Change our minds. Change our hearts. <coughs>
Change our desires, Lord. We want to taste and see that you are good. Lord, we want the evidence and the substance of our faith to be so overwhelming that there's never a doubt. Lord, would you help us this week? Make us well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now, and for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www.kurtlandchristian.org.